In episode 46 of MobyCast, we revisit the holy war of serverless API development and whether or not it's a good idea for real-world projects. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about containerization, Docker, and modern software deployment. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris and Rich. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey. Hey, guys. All right. So normally I would ask now, Rich, what you've been doing this week and Chris, what you've been doing this week. But everybody knows that all anybody's been doing is complaining about the new Slack logo. So it's kind of a waste of time to ask. Forget the logo. It's the new color scheme. Oh, my God. It's, it's everything. It's, it's everything. like the very first thing everything. I did. <laughs> change that <laughs> i didn't realize the logo had changed and i was like why are my eyes hurting when i'm looking at slack and then i figured it out yeah the death to your eyes purple has got to go <laughs> but, you know that that theme the the name of it is aubergine um, uh-huh. so eggplant but oh, okay yeah. well it doesn't hurt me my eyes to look at an eggplant <laughs> it does slack now indeed <laughs> so all right so back in june we did a episode of MobyCast where we talked about serverless and, you know, it's a big topic. Actually, last week we talked about serverless too. We talked about Lambda and some of the new things that Lambda offers with layers and the runtime API. And we always have this thing that that is kind of ongoing where it feels like I'm kind of a proponent of serverless architectures and, hey, we should do this. We should try this and and prove to ourselves that it is doable and and maybe we'll like it. And stop being such an old fuddy-duddy and staying in the, you know, putting your head in the sand and not realizing that progress means Lambda-based architecture. So we thought this episode that we'd revisit that argument where... I'm right, and Chris is right, and we're going to find out who's really right. Should we be doing serverless-based architectures? It's been a while, and AWS moves slightly faster than the speed of light. So, yeah, maybe it is time now, right? So, you you know, I, I just hate the fact that you cannot have a conversation about serverless without defining it, but it is a fact. So let's define it. Chris, can you tell us? For the purposes of this conversation, how we're defining serverless? Yeah. So, there, I mean, there's, there's two broad ways of looking at this, right? So serverless, I think in general, like most people, when you say serverless, they're thinking Lambda, right? They're mm-hmm. thinking functions as a service. But really, we keep hearing the term serverless. It's everywhere. We're inundated it from cloud folks, from technical communities, from marketing folks. And when you hear that term, that's not functions as a service. That is really just the idea that your code is running somewhere and you're not managing the infrastructure, right? So it's anything where you don't have to spin up a machine. If you don't own that machine, if you're not managing that machine, then it's serverless, right? So this this ends up now broadening the definition. So you're no longer just Lambda, you're now also things like DynamoDB or your things like S3 or SQS, right? So all of these are managed services. You don't have to spin up any resources whatsoever. You just consume them and use them and away you go. So mm-hmm. those are the, the two broad things. And so just we need just to, you know, always kind of keep that in mind that like, and I think we should like when we talk about serverless, it's not just Lambda, right? Because there are problems with just using lamb, like saying, I'm just going to go all in and everything is now a function and I'm going <laughs> to, do my, you know, whatever app I'm doing, whenever I'm writing code, right, it's going to be Lambda. I'm serverless. Serverless <laughs> is great, right? And that's that's where the, the hair on the back way neck sticks up and where I start <laughs> really getting uncomfortable and saying like, wait a minute, like slow down. Right, right, right. 
Yeah, and and so for the purpose of this conversation, we are kind of approaching that like Lambda-based architecture. So basically, you know, it is a really popular thing now to say, I'm going to front-end my, you know, I'm going to put the doors to my backend is all going to be via API Gateway and Lambda. And then behind there, there might be DynamoDB, there might be, you know, Cognito and other managed services so that you have an entirely serverless architecture and you don't have any, you know, no Docker images that you're spinning up on any kind of orchestrator or anything. So those architectures are super popular right now. A lot of Blue Sky projects are getting started with those architectures. AWS appears to want us to use that architecture, wouldn't you agree? They seem to want people to do that. They're kind of selling it. You know, we've talked about this before. I mean, AWS is customer fanatical, right? So they're going where customers are asking them to go. And so there are a lot of folks out there that like for them to understand like what it means to run a cluster in ECS is just not something that they want to go do, right? So to be able to run it on this, you know, and so it's just writing some functions and stitch some stuff together and, and really kind of almost build applications at the solution architect level and yeah. not have to dive down into more like deeper developments. It's almost like you're like just assembling, right? Like it's 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 almost like an IKEA project of putting together a bookshelf as oh, opposed to as opposed to going out into the shop and starting off with a you know, just raw lumber. And so I think that appeals to a lot. I mean, I think the market is pretty big for that, right? Like the folks right. out there that that don't have that deep knowledge can go build those kinds of things. So I would just say, yeah, I mean, AWS is certainly not discouraging. They're definitely adding features for people that do that. So whether yeah. they're not, yeah. whether they're saying, hey, every everybody should do this, they're at least not discouraging it. Yeah. And, there, and there's absolutely a place for this too, right? Like for sure. there's, there's certain things that you should, have, like using Lambda makes just all the sense in the world and you should totally do that. And there's other things where, hey, you know, using Lambda, that, that doesn't really feel right and you really shouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. So it's just really kind of understanding like, what is it good for? What are the pros? What are the cons? What are the things that are get easier? What are the things that get difficult? And then just making the right decision and not just kind of going by what the marketing folks are saying and just saying like, mm-hmm. you got to go serverless or this is the new is the new container, right? Controversial statement here. Marketing folks include developer advocates. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So at the end of June, or you know, at the end of, a, of the conversation we had in June, we we basically said yeah, that at least in terms of Kelsis for the types of projects that we do, which which does include a lot of blue sky work, and it, and it includes a lot of work for you know small to medium sized workloads where we're talking in the thousands of users a day, but typically not in a million. That it wasn't we weren't really ready to do sort of to front end our microservices with Lambda and API Gateway. We still wanted to use things like Express, put into Docker images, and put those onto an orchestrator. But that we did want to use serverless for event-driven architectures where, you know, maybe SQS and SNS are involved and something changes and a Lambda function says, hey, you know, make this change in a database or go kick off this little process. So that's where we kind of ended up in June. And I sort of felt a little dissatisfied because I thought I, th- I thought that, you know, as a company, there's this movement happening and we're not really jumping on and, and we're not experts at it and it, and we could be left behind. I, I just I just didn't feel like I knew enough from our conversation to really agree that this wasn't going to be the way we were architecting applications in the future. So in December, I said, 
all right, I'm going to go figure this out myself. And I, there was a, an application that, well, actually, while I was at reInvent, I just had this bolt of an idea. And I was like, I can build this so fast. I can cobble together, you know, I can IKEA together an application with all these AWS components. And it's going to be useful for our application. And I'll open source it. And it's going to be awesome. And I'm never going to touch a server. I'm never going to touch infrastructure. And then Chris is going to look at what I've built and be like, oh, my God, I was wrong. So I started and I started building it. And so what this application does is it solves a little pain problem that we have at Kelsys. We run a lot of applications and we just need to know how those applications need to be started and stopped. And, you know, if certain common problems happen, what you should do to troubleshoot them. And we have to write down those answers. And, uh, and we, you know, those are called run books, at least in our vernacular, they may be called other things in other, in other organizations. So we have a bunch of run books and guess what? They're all out of date because nobody likes writing run books. They'd rather write code. And I thought, you know, if, a lot of times a runbook, the best way of doing a runbook would be to just do a, a quick screencast of yourself. You can fire up QuickTime on your Mac and say, I'm doing a screen recording, and then you can talk during it. So you can say, here, I click on this, and that's going to show me that. And the, your voice is recorded for posterity, and people can watch that and know exactly how to start and stop a service or whatever you need to do. So I was like, why don't we use those for runbooks instead of having to write? And they take like 15 minutes, and you're done, instead of taking like two hours, especially because for a lot of our developers, English is their second language. And we don't really want to have runbooks in Spanish because then you know the owners of the company might have a little bit of a harder time reading them. So yeah, this was going to be the solution. So I thought, but screencasts, boy, you know, if you have a pile of screencasts, how do you know which one you need to look at? Sure would be nice if you could search those. And then all this is when it occurred to me, wow, AWS has transcribe service. We can transcribe the screencasts. We can then make that those transcriptions full text searchable. And then boom, we have a Google-like service of all of our runbooks. So you can just hop in there and look for ECS restart and all of the runbooks that include the words ECS restart are shown on your screen. You can pick the one you want to watch. Right. So that's like a weekend project, right? A few hours. <laughs> yeah. So I started building it and my goal was to not use anything that's not AWS unless I had to. So that means I was using for repo, I was using code commit for my CICD pipeline. I'm using code build, code deploy, code pipeline for my IDE. Literally, I'm using cloud nine for my IDE instead of using like VI or Visual Studio. What else? Like I'm, I'm using Lambda and, and API Gateway, so I'm not using ECS, but that's because I'm trying to do the serverless thing. I'm using DynamoDB for data storage, using Elastic uh, Transcribe for transcription, using S3, obviously, because you never do a project without S3, using Cognito for user storage stuff, and using one other one. Anyway, another, you know, it's a, it's a freaking... Lego kit of AWS services that I'm pouring into this thing. And I started out and I started building it. And I don't know, before I tell you what, what I ran up against, what do you expect I might've run up against, Chris? I just, I'm just kind of curious. You're, you're hearing this and you're like, ah, I know what that would be like. What do you think it was like? Mm -hmm. So I think actually this particular project, the, the way that you describe it, this kind of feels like it's a pretty good fit for Lambda and for the, the tech stack that you're talking about. You know, this is, it's at the end of the day, it's, you can kind of think of it, this is probably a, a bit more of an event driven system, right? So you can think of like a screencast gets created, maybe it gets dropped on an S3 bucket that triggers an event, which then 
kicks off a way of inserting into the catalog and then then it goes and does the transcription and background and puts that into some knowledge base or something like that right so you can probably as you kind of mentioned like this is a bit more than a one of those like ikea type applications where you're really kind of assemb- you're using all these great building blocks to kind of assemble them together in the right way to stitch together step one step two step three to build something so from that standpoint it sounds like this is like a a pretty good fit for that. You're not trying to implement like a uh, a RESTful API service. Doesn't sound like there's a lot of complicated business logic code and other dependent libraries and whatnot. But that said, I'm sure that there are plenty of issues with just going and doing this just with the fact that there's a lot of ramp up here, right? There's This is an alphabet soup of a bunch of different services and getting them all to work together correctly. So in theory, like this is one of those canonical examples where like this is what serverless and what AWS technologies are good for. But in practice, actually getting all that right is not so easy, right? And it's not straightforward. And there's a lot of gotchas. There's things like uh, debugging and troubleshooting totally different in this world. And you're going to be banging your heads against the walls for a bit, I would imagine. So mm-hmm. that's that's my impression. Yeah. And that's pretty close. I would say that you're absolutely right for the, the piece on transcription and, you know, putting like maybe you put a screencast into an S3 bucket and then that triggers an event that calls the Lambda function that then does something and, and transcribes and then, you know, and then maybe makes that searchable somehow. And that that piece is very event-driven. I think where I made a mistake is that, you know, we could have just said, hey, everybody here is a developer. You can just go into S3 and look look at this pile of stuff and you can figure it out yourself. But instead, I, I, I was like, well, I'm going to build a web application to front end all this. And you're going to be able to sign up for it, log into it, look at a list of run books, add a run book, delete a run book. Like that's a REST. Now all of a sudden we've got run book API. That's a CRUD REST API. And I built that in Lambda as well, you know, mm-hmm. in serverless with Lambda stuff in front of it. And, and I think that's where I sort of went down this rabbit hole of pain, actually. I'll just I'll mm-hmm. just come out and say it, is, it was painful. I've experienced doing that exact thing in Java, then in Ruby and Rails, then in Sinatra with Ruby, then with Python. So I've done this exact project many times myself, or, you know, building a kind of a very simple API to back end a, a web application. And this is the hardest it's ever been. That's really important. I, I need to make that, like, I need to put an explanation point on that. Like, it is, <laughs> it, is it took me a long time. And, you know, I remember in 2006 going to some little thing where it's some guy was like, I'm going to show off this new thing called Ruby on Rails. And then he like, you know, worked on his little VI terminal for like 15 minutes. And he's like, no, I have a running API. And that was it. Like, maybe it wasn't quite 15 minutes. And that's the point I'm trying to make. Like, I spent hours and hours and hours getting just a simple CRUD API together. And it's not like I was configuring and hooking up everything inside the console. I was doing, I was using this thing called the serverless framework, which is available at serverless.com. And it handles all of the heavy lifting for you. It creates CloudFormation templates for you. So all you have to do is put in some configuration to say, you know, what you want the names of your functions to be and whether you want them to support cores and whether you want them to, and, you know, do some things like if, if you want specialized headers to be returned, like it just has a bunch of YAML configuration that you have to do. And then once you do all that YAML configuration, it will go and create CloudFormation templates. And then you can type a command serverless deploy and serverless deploy will connect to your AWS account and run those CloudFormation stacks, you know, stack them up for you. But it turns out that a single 
you know, CRUD API that connects to a Dynamo database and also uses Cognito. Like it produces like, I don't know, just this this one little application produced probably 1500 lines of CloudFormation. That's a lot. That's every single one of those lines has something that could possibly go wrong that you need to troubleshoot. Probably 800 lines were roles and policies being created. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So when things went wrong, they went wrong like fantastically. It was just, you know, broken. You see your cloud formation start to roll back and then some stuff doesn't roll all the way back. And this is just stuff you don't have to think about or worry about when you are just building with a with a framework where everything is kind of self-contained. So like a Express or a Django or a Rails, like Everything is contained and you start the framework process and the framework pro- process handles making exposing the API and everything can see everything else within that process. So it's very, very easy to see where things are and, wh- and when things go wrong, it, it's very clearly reported. There's not like many, many different pieces where the, if something goes wrong in one piece, it might manifest itself differently in another piece. I know that's sort, sort of abstract to say, but let me give a specific example. So you and I were talking about this yesterday, Chris. You hopped online with me because I needed some help troubleshooting. And we were looking at the, we were looking at something where I was trying to just get, my React application was trying to call a list API to just get a list of runbooks. And it was getting a 502 error from the service. And when I looked at the, when we looked at the network stack, there was like references to CloudWatch in there. CloudFront. Ah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, CloudFront. Is there something wrong with my CloudFront distribution? And then I was also able to look at look at my Lambda function and see that, yeah, my Lambda function is getting called. So the front door is open. So I'm, I'm just like, oh, okay, everything seems to be set up right. But then while you were on the phone with me, it was like, ah, look at that in the console. There's a cores error. Okay, so I just must have an issue with my core setup. But then I go around and I'm looking at my core setup and it's like, ah, oh, my gosh, there is nothing I can see in anything that I've done where... I've left out some cores configuration. And my my Lambda function is clearly, clearly, clearly returning cores headers. Absolutely 100% returning cores headers. So what is the deal? Like, why is it complaining about cores? And after I got off the phone with you, Chris, I realized, oh, it's returning cores, but the cloud, but like in, in the case of an error, the cores isn't coming through. So the 502 error the API gateway was returning via CloudFront, that 502 error did not have course headers. So it was the error that didn't have course headers, not the return of my Lambda function. My Lambda function was re- returning a 200 and had course headers in it. But for some reason, API gateway was returning a 502 and didn't have course headers in it. And the whole thing was a little bit confused by the fact that my API gateway was you know, optimized for CloudFront. So that means it's just like sends out your Lambda functions out to the edge to make things a little faster. But it's, you know, it's confusing. Like, because CloudFront has got a lot of switches and a lot of things you can play with in it. And it makes you feel like when you see the word CloudFront in an error message, it makes you feel like you may may have made a mistake there. Anyway, what I finally figured out was that my Lambda function return body, the body was JSON and not stringified JSON, which was causing API Gateway to say, no, 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 that's not valid. You have to stringify your JSON in the body. And if you don't stringify your JSON in the body, then you're considered a bad gateway. And so that's where the 502 error comes from. And since the API gateway was creating the 502 error, and it was not 
adding cores headers on the 502 error. That's why in the console, the whole thing looked like a cores issue, whereas it, it was really just a syntax issue in the, in the return of the Lambda function. Yeah, that, that's just a lot of layers of troubleshooting and a lot of misdirection. And that's just one of, you know, 50 things that I had to troubleshoot that were similar to that. So yeah, I would say now that I've done it, now that I've been through this process, I could do it a lot faster, but not 10 times faster. Mm-hmm. Something I told you yesterday, Chris, I think I could do it twice as fast, right. but that there would still be things that I'd run up against that are just head scratchers. Yep. You, you, there's definitely new ones that are still waiting out there for you as, oh, yeah. you, as you continue working on this project for sure. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, this kind of just highlights the fact that like, you know, again, serverless and then just in as a subset using Lambda functions as a service to go build an application, you know, there is a lot of technology there. There's a lot of building blocks. You can build very powerful, highly scalable, very cost-effective applications, but you're right out of the gate. You're a complicated distributed system, right? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like what you were getting at, like with the Ruby on Rails thing, like it's not really a distributed system, right? It's just, it's, it's one component, right? It's all contained and you don't have like these interfaces and dependencies. It's really, it's, kind of an atomic unit and you can just go and you might have some backing database, but it's probably about it. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty simple. It allows you to, to get going very, very quickly. And it's just, it is a simple closed system mm-hmm. versus something like what you're building now. I mean, if you draw the architecture diagram, yeah. right. Think about it. Like you yeah. have at least 10 major services on that diagram and you have multiple communication paths and, and you have to, because of the way that things work, in the cloud like you need to make sure that like you have the right roles and policies set up for every one of those those bi-directional interfaces between each one of these things right so mm-hmm. there's just a lot of i's to dot and a lot of t's to cross right. and like if if you don't need like this is why it comes back to like what are the benefits of serverless like why are you doing serverless right so one of the big value propositions for serverless is it's very cost effective right you can do like hundreds of thousands, millions of requests, very, very cost effectively. But, mm-hmm. you know, you're not spending those costs, but you do have the development costs, the engineering costs, right? right. The, and so you have to kind of like ask yourself, like, am I really in a position to take advantage of that? Is the the extra work that I'm going to put into this to build it, is it going to be offset by those savings? Or is this just really not even applicable to me? And I'm actually just doing this for the sake of doing serverless. Right. I'm really not getting the benefits out of it. So do you think the 30 of us will be needing to do tens of thousands of requests per minute with low latency all across the world? Not unless we sign up uh, Amazon as a customer, right? (laughs) Which we're all ears for that. So, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, you know, most of the stuff that we've seen, like we're not anywhere near that level. And, you know, honestly, there's not a lot of folks out there that have that scale too right so yeah and i guess that's what's interesting and maybe that's like maybe that's part of the draw to it it's like okay so yeah you know in about a month i was able to build something that could scale to that level of usage and that's kind of cool it's like whoa look i got i built a formula one and it only took like a month but it did take a month and if i had built you know a nice honda it might have taken a day it might have been a weekend project yeah yeah and that goes into the you know it goes into the cost so i think we were kind of joking around the other day that like we've gotten you know with this architecture that we may have saved ourselves 500 dollars a month on aws bills but you know in exchange for 10 or more thousand dollars a month in additional development fees Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I mean, going back to your example of like, you know, could have, you know, build a Formula One car versus a Honda. And it's like, keep in mind, like whatever car you build, you're going to be driving it through the, the city during rush hour, right? You can only go like five miles an hour anyhow. So mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. 
the F1 doesn't give you anything there, right? It's I was kind of laughing. I downtown Redmond, the traffic has gotten so bad for such a a town that's you know it's not Seattle. It's smaller, but it has grown quite a bit with with Microsoft, and the traffic's just terrible. It's just bumper to bumper, and it takes you like twenty minutes just to go like a few miles, and then you see like these really nice sports cars, though, right? You see like, <laughs> the, right. the Ferrari right. <laughs> and and the Lamborghini, and it's like really. <laughs> Right. <laughs> kind of a really expensive way to go from point A to point B very, very slowly. Right. So I think, you know, we have this this app that's been created and we might want to build on it. And, you know, we have options. One of the options would be to let's use Express and let's put the at least the the part of the application that's all it is 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 just the back end for a React application, just a little REST API. Let's let's stick that in a Docker image and run it on ECS so that it's easier to maintain. We could do that or we could keep it as sort of like a learning bench for Kelsis. Like a, you know, here's a place you can go to really mess around with CloudFormation, to really mess around with Lambda and mess around with, you know, some of the other managed services that that I took advantage of, like Cognito, et cetera. So I think it's likely that we'll do that just with full knowledge that, you know, those learning experiences will probably Probably benefit our clients down the road. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, things like DynamoDB, super important, just fabulous technology that we definitely want to, to use more and more going forward. And things like Cognito, that's another important kind of foundational service that we'll want to, to look at leveraging more and more in the future. And definitely Lambda. So there are definitely very real situations that warrant using Lambda and it's very good to use it, right? So we'll we'll be incorporating more of that as we go forward as well. So yeah, I mean this is a it's a great learning workbench, if you will, right, to do this. And hopefully we'll actually use it to keep track of our runbooks. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well thanks for talking. And you were right. I've got to say it. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, on this issue. <laughs> Talk to you next week. Thanks, Rich, for putting this together. Thanks guys. Well dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash four six. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.